Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I haven't been inside of a church for a long, long time because we are all trying to navigate a pandemic that feels like it's never going to end. Um, and then we are also, you know, I also left the church. And so I haven't been inside of a church <laughs> for a very long time. And I think that being here is a good way to come to a church for the first time after years of not being inside a church. This, is, this was the right place. Um, thank you for having me. I am Colombian. Uh, I am a pastor. And I get in trouble a lot online. So if you don't follow me, just be aware of that. If you choose to follow me, you'll just see a lot of trouble that I get into. Good trouble, right? Um, so I wanted to talk today about holiness and sacredness and liberation. And I wanted to talk about that because that has been a big part of my own healing and my own journey of um, becoming the person that I am today. And it was important for me to reclaim all of these things. Um, I don't even know why it was important for me to reclaim them, but I just kept on realizing that I needed to reclaim a lot of Christian narratives and a lot of ideologies. And spirituality continues to be one of the biggest guiding... Um, yeah, it, it guides me towards myself. It takes me towards wholeness and it takes me back to myself. So spirituality is a big deal for me and I continue to lean into it. So I... Um, when I first left the church, there was a lot going on. I was deconstructing a lot of ideas and I was kind of trying to reimagine what is this? You know, if all the things that I've been told to believe and all the things that I've been told that are absolute truths are just crumbling beneath me and around me, then what is, what is truth and what is real and what are things that I can really hold on to? And one of the things that I started thinking about was holiness and sacredness and what is holiness and what is sacredness? And are they the same thing? Does it even matter that I think about these things? Does it even, can I let them go? Do I keep holding on to them? And because of my training and because of the way that I was just, you know, I, ha I have training in preaching and I have training in studying the Bible, I of course went to Semitic languages and I was like, okay, well, let's just start there. What is the word holy in these Semitic languages? So in ancient Semitic languages, the word holy and sacred come from the same Semitic root. And Semitic roots usually have hieroglyphics. They had hieroglyphics and the hieroglyphics had meanings. And when you had the meanings of the hieroglyphics put together, they would make words and the meaning of the words was the meaning of the hieroglyphics put together. So for holy and um, sacred, the root word was the root hieroglyphic was these three hieroglyphics, QDS, if transliterated, transliterated to English, and it was Kadesh. And in ancient um, Semitic languages and in ancient Semitic uh, spirituality, uh, with the, Kainan, the Canaanite goddess of fertility and pleasure was Kadesh. And many linguists believe that Kadesh, the goddess of fertility and the goddess, the Canaanite goddess of fertility and sexuality um, is the root word and is where the idea of holy and sacred comes from. And the Egyptians also borrowed from the Canaanites and the Egyptians also have a goddess that is Kadesh. And Kadesh is this goddess of sacred and holy and then it becomes the word holy and the word sacred inside of the Hebrew language. Um, so the, the, the three you know, transliterated QDS. I'm going to say what it means now, but I'll come back to that later. Uh, the Q what is, is what is behind. The D is a door or a pathway. And the S is a consuming fire. And I'm very careful to not be appropriative. I'm not trying to appropriate, you know, Semitic languages or anything like that. But you can do um, whatever you want with what that means, really. All of us get to just lean into 
this is something that is behind the pathway of a consuming fire. And the notion of sacredness and holiness is this idea of something that is behind the pathway of a consuming fire. And um, interestingly, I then started studying what was holy inside of my, with, for my ancestors, inside of some indigenous traditions. And my ancestors and many other indigenous traditions had similar I connections uh, between holiness and sexuality and fertility. And so the words for Chipcha people, which are my ancestors, the word for holy is Guaricha. And Guaricha means, it, it was a goddess. It was the goddess of fertility and pleasure as well. And the reason why there was this ancient connection between pleasure and sexuality and fertility and holiness is because that which was holy was that which, which was able to bring forth life. There was a connection between bringing forth life and holiness for not just ancient Semitic people, but also for all of these different ancient um, indigenous people of what we call now America. And interestingly, and this is a side note, it has nothing to do with anything, but it's fun. Um, <laughs> Guaricha today, if you say that word in Colombia, in other countries that speak Spanish, it means nothing. But in Colombia, if you say Guaricha, it is a pejorative word to express that there is a woman, specifically, that is very comfortable in her sexuality, including but not limited to sex workers. So it became this pejorative word. And even though it was supposed to be holy, and it was supposed to be about bringing forth life and fertility, and it, it's just different. So, so I keep trying to reclaim Guaricha, keep calling myself Guaricha. It doesn't go well. I'm kidding. <laughs> so the word for, I, I want to see my mom's face when I'm like, I want you to call me Guaricha from now on. <laughs> she's, she's not going to like that. Um, so this word holy is just very connected to this idea of bringing forth life. Um, so I started thinking about that and thinking, because I think in Bible, just because of how you know the, the narratives of the Bible have been such a big part of my life, I thought, okay, when, when is the first time then that this idea of holiness changes? And with, with all of that I've said, I propose then that sacred is that which belongs to di divinity and begets divinity. So sacred is anything that belongs to divinity and begets divinity, that can hold divinity, that can bring divinity forth. Um, and holy is that which is aligned with divinity. Holy is that which is aligned with divinity. So desecrating something or moving away from holiness is moving away from divinity, moving away from the divine. So with that in mind, I started thinking about the narratives of the Bible and I thought, when is the first time that I see holiness desecrated? And I had been told that the moment in which everything was destroyed and everything was just messed up was when the woman ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I started looking at the narrative and reading, and it took me a year to go through to Genesis. So when I left the church, I sat down and I decided I was going to start studying Genesis um, very slowly, and I was, until I understood everything that I was reading, really understood it at a deep level, where I felt satisfied, where I was like, I get it. It's not the narratives that were given to me, it's not the indoctrination, but I get it. Um, I'm just gonna read it until I get it, and I won't move on. So it took me a year to go through Genesis. Uh, and Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are my absolute most favorite three chapters of the entire Bible. But uh, I, reading that, I realized it's not when she ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that holiness was desecrated, that she was moved away from divinity. That's not the moment. It was before. It was when the serpent looked at her and said, if you eat, if you eat, then you will be like God. 
because in that moment, she started to internalize the, no the idea that she was not like God already, that she was not made in the image and likeness of God, that she needed to be moved away, that she needed something outside of herself, that she needed to put something on, eat something, have something else, when in reality, she was made in the image of God already. She was made in the image of divinity already, but she started internalizing the message. And all of us have had that experience, right? We are made in the image of divinity if, if our narrative is Christianity, if that's the language that we use. We are made in the image of divinity. And um, if you've had babies, and I have four, uh, God, they are just precious and perfect when they are born. The moment that they put you, these babies, on your chest, there is, they are precious. They are the image of divinity. But they start hearing all these messages that if only you eat of this fruit, if only you behave this way, if only you do this thing, if only you look a certain way, if only, if only, if only, then you will be like God. When in reality, they are like God. And that is the desecration of holiness because they are holding divinity already. They beget divinity. They hold divinity with them. They are the temple of the divine, but we keep telling them to not do that. And if we continue to read the narrative of Genesis, um, then the, the divine, the God comes. And all of these I read as allegory, by the way, and however you read it is totally fine, but I read it as allegory. So there is this divine that comes and says, um, it, there is no judgment. See, I was told to read it with judgment. I was told to read that this God came and was angry. But I don't see that. When I read it outside of these narratives that had been given to me, I don't see any of that. Instead, this God comes and says, where are you? It comes looking because he can sense that it's so far apart. There has been distance between you and me. There is this distance between divinity when divinity should be within you. And I sense the distance. Where are you? Where are you? And he says, well, we were hiding because we were naked. Well, who told you? Well, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Who told you you needed something on? Who told you you needed to cover up? Who told you you weren't good enough naked and vulnerable and complete? Who told you that? And so God, the divine, being the divine and trying to protect, because that's what our bodies do, right? That's what our brains do. That's what the, the divinity within us do. When we feel threatened, we protect ourselves. And sometimes that's not the best, but it's what happens. Um, starts, makes these leaves, and they are, there are leaves put on them. And all of us walk around with all these leaves that we're carrying, all of these leaves that make us acceptable to everybody else, all of these leaves that tell us that if we carry these leaves with us, if we make all of these leaves our things, the things that we carry with us, the baggage really, then we are acceptable. And in the meantime, we're covering up the temple, the, the divine, the sacred. We're covering it up, being told that we're supposed to be something when in reality we are it and we're covering up the thing that we're supposed to be. The desecration comes when we are told that holiness is outside of us, when in reality, holiness is always within us, is always inside of us. Um, so what does that have to do with liberation? In my opinion, everything. Because oppression doesn't begin when people just try to be mean. Oppression is not about being mean. Oppression is not about really power at the beginning. Oppression is about people who are trying to appease that inside of themselves, who are trying to get in touch with the divine and who keep being told you're not good enough. And for them to be able to, be, to feel like they are good enough, to feel like they have the divine, because once you've tasted the divine within you, you want it back. And all of us have tasted it. All of us were born divine. And so you want it back. And so oppression comes when people say, one of the leaves that I'm going to put on is if I make them smaller, then perhaps I'll look bigger. If I make them less than, then I'll be more. And oppression begins there. Oppression doesn't begin in dehumanizing them. It begins in me being distanced from my own humanity, in me thinking that I need something out there 
when in reality, it's, it's inside of me. And so we keep taking from others and dehumanizing others just to appease the insecurities and the pain and the trauma and the societal conditioning that has been eating us and taking us away from the one that we truly are. And so oppression really truly begins there. And all of us, that's, I, I've talked before about how all of us have the potential of being oppressors or being liberators. All of us have the potential of doing that, regardless of our identities. It is just more likely that if you have privileged identities, you'll be an oppressor, because marginalized identities, to survive, have to get in touch with their divinity. To survive, they have to say, I'm worth staying around, I'm worth keeping around, I'm worth living. And to be able to say that to yourself as a marginalized identity, when the world is telling you that you're not worth anything, you have to come to finding worth within you, because the world will tell you the worth is not inside you. So you have to find it, and you won't find it out there. Um, so oppressors are really just tortured people. They are just tortured within, trying to find the divinity by oppressing others, because they, can, they just cannot see it in them. They can't, and they think, if I oppress you, if I make you less, perhaps I'll be better. So liberation, and if, if we talk about divinity, and if we talk about sacredness and holiness as that which brings forth life, so long as you are oppressed, so long as you are an oppressor, so long as you are not oppressed but an oppressor, so long as you have all of these leaves on top of you, you are covering up that which brings forth life. And therefore, whatever you create is not going to be created to liberate, but it's going to be created to appease insecurities and to appease your own oppression and the oppression that you are making others experience. So everything about liberation has to do with beginning to liberate ourselves from the narratives that we've been told beginning to liberate ourselves from the leaves that we've put over us and that's where the narratives of um so we go back to kadesh that's with this idea that something that is behind a pathway of a consuming fire makes so much sense to me it made so much sense to me and without trying to be appropriative um it is perhaps as we walk the journey of leaning into the pain of burning those leaves, of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to be honest about the leaves that I'm carrying with me, and I'm going to look at them and it's time to let them go. They cannot be my identity anymore. They cannot be a part of me anymore. I don't need them anymore. And it's in the process of burning those leaves and letting them shed from us and continue to lean into being the most vulnerable, most naked version of ourselves that we will find liberation for us. And when we find liberation for us and are able to see the divine in us and how incredibly sacred we are and how we are the temple that carries divinity forth and brings life forth into the world, it is impossible for us to look at another and not see the temple, sacred, the divine that they are. It's impossible. But if we don't make the journey of burning the leaves, if we don't make the journey of seeing ourselves as our the true divine that we are, of the, the ones that are carrying divinity forth, everything that we create is going to be created out of trying to continue to appease the insecurities we were told we had, out of trying to continue to be the thing that we were told we had to be in, able to, in order to be able to be acceptable to others. And it's messy, right? It's messy because we never know if what we're doing, we're doing out of the true self or we're doing out of the one that is traumatized and being told that they had to be something. And that's the journey of burning the leaves. Um, I was just talking to a friend, a new friend, Mike, and I was telling him that I had to go into this journey where I had to have conversations with myself. And I had, that's what I call prayer now, actually. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, you, can I curse? Okay, okay. I love that I asked, but I was still going to do it, um, <laughs> nonetheless. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, why are you doing what you're doing, Joe? 
why are you? I was a pastor, I would preach. I was the only, like one of the only women that was allowed to preach, the only woman of color that was allowed to preach in this church. I couldn't call it preaching though, but whatever, that's another conversation. Um, uh, and I remember thinking, why are you doing what you're doing? And I was like, oh, because I want to share good things with people. I look at myself in the mirror, bullshit, bullshit. You're appeasing your insecurities. You want to fit in. You want them to say you're acceptable. You like it, you like them clapping for you. You like it because you don't have to deal with yourself when you do that. You're stealing from all of their claps to be able to say I'm good, when in reality you know that you have all this trauma and all of these insecurities and all this bullshit that you continue to refuse to deal with because the appeasing feels good and it's not hard work. It's easy. It's easy to get people to clap for you. It's easy to get people to look at you and say you're amazing. It's easy to play the part. It's easy to look at my family and take pictures with my cute husband that is white and with my kids and just smile and pretend that everything is perfect when in reality I was desperate to run away. I was inside of this marriage with these children living in another country desperate to run away. But we looked great and we could talk about marriage and how you, you know, to have a good marriage, you just have to have a good relationship with God. Bullshit. Bullshit. But it wasn't until I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, stop it with the leaves. Take him off. Because see, if I don't, if I, I don't take the leaves off for myself first, if I cannot be naked in my own presence, then I'm not going to be naked in front of anybody else. And people can sense that. Our spirit can sense that. Our, 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 there is something inside of us. I'm like, I know you're bullshitting me. I won't say it, but I know it. So... When I, I talk about the living room a lot, the living room, and the living room became this place where I committed, the living room was my living room, my, quite literally my living room. It wasn't an analogy, it's not an analogy, it's my life. So the living room became this place where I committed to being naked. This is where I'm gonna be naked. This is where I'm gonna take my leaves off. And if you come into my living room, if you sit in my presence, if you sit in my spaces, you're going to see me and I'm gonna take my leaves off and that's gonna give you permission to take your leaves off too. And I'm gonna show up as the most sacred version of myself, as the most holy version of, yourself, of myself. And whether you wanna desecrate me or not is your choice, but I will know how safe you are for me. But I will show up naked, and I will see if then you start taking off leaves too, and feel safe enough to be naked too. And I told Josh that incredibly, after all of these years and all of the things that I say about the church and all of the fights that I um, start, I'll admit it, all of the fights that I start with evangelicals, I still believe that the church is the hope of the world. Not the organization, not the corporations, but the nakedness, the naked communities of people that continue to show up for themselves first and for one another next. These communities of people that say, I see you. The communities of people that say, you're bullshitting me and it's okay. Because perhaps you're bullshitting me because you don't feel safe but we're going to name it. You're bullshitting me. And you're bullshitting yourself. Like, this is all bullshit. How many times do you think I can say bullshit today? <laughs> um, and so that's the church for me. These communities that are intentional, that show up naked, that show up vulnerable, and that say to one another, we're going to see one another, and we're going to continue to move forward together into finding the most sacred version of ourselves. And I'm going to, we're going to hold each other's hand in doing that. We're gonna do that together. And you're safe in my living room and you're safe in my spaces and you're safe around me because only if you're safe do you start taking these leaves off. Without having spaces of safety, you're never gonna take the leaves off. You're trying to protect yourself. It's natural, it's normal, it's 
good. But if you find enough good spaces that are safe, where you can take the leaves off, then you can tap into the divine within you. Then you can tap into the sacred and the holy that you are. And when you tap into the sacred and the holy that you are, and you're able to live in your life and to move in the world as the sacred and holy that you are, then you bring forth life. And then you bring forth liberation. Then everything that you do is a move for liberation, is a move for the divine to be able to change the world, is a move toward heaven on earth. But we're not going to have heaven on earth if we keep pretending to show up, if we keep pretending to be acceptable, if we keep showing up in places with all of these leaves and covered up. That is not life. That is not bringing forth life. That is quite literally survival. We are just trying to survive oppression. We are just trying to survive and look the right way. And it's risky. It's risky and it's, it's, it's painful to take all these leaves off. It's painful to become the most divine version of yourself. It's painful because you have to deal with the narratives and insecurities that you have, given, you have been given your whole life. And you have been told that if you show up naked, then you're vulnerable and you will be hurt. And honestly, you will. And it's a risk worth taking. Because it is not pain that we have to be afraid of, it's suffering. And the only way to end suffering is to lean into pain so that we stop it. If we never lean into pain, we're never going to stop pain. And if we never stop pain, we'll always have suffering. But to be able to stop suffering, we need to understand pain. And to be able to understand pain, we need to stop medicating it and appeasing it with fake religiosity and you know, spiritual bypassing. Leaning into pain, being able to say this hurts, being able to say this is how far fucking away, sorry, um, I am from my own divine. This is how far away I am from my divine. If we cannot name that, if we cannot say, I hate my life right now, and I love the people in it, but I hate my life right now, and I need to be able to be honest about that. If we cannot name that, if we cannot lean into the pain of what we have, we will never end suffering, because we are never able to see the problem. We keep covering the problem up and pretending that suffering is not happening. Because for some of us, we can pretend that suffering is not happening. We're privileged enough to pretend that suffering is not happening. But it isn't about me, right? I need suffering to end for all of us. And that's what happened inside of the church for me. People think that I left because I was angry. People think that I left because I was, um, I wanted to get paid more. People thought that I left because I, you know, I, I just wanted more of the spotlight. None of that is true. I, I, I left because every day I would wake up and wonder what it would, what, how good it would be if a truck hit me. I, was wa I wanted to die. I felt so small, invisible, oppressed. I felt like I was in a straitjacket. I felt like I was trapped inside of my own world, inside of this church, inside of this marriage, inside of this motherhood, inside of this country. I felt trapped and I just wanted to die. But I looked really good in pictures and I looked really good on stage and I said all the right things and I wanted to die every day. And I knew one day I was going to. And I left because I needed to survive. I left because I needed to be alive. I needed to be, I, I, my children deserved a mom that was alive. I'm not hoping all the time a truck hit her. I deserve that. So I didn't leave because I was angry. I left because I needed to be, I needed to find Joe. I needed to stop betraying her for the sake of the boxes that I was told I needed to fit into. 
And I found in leaving my own liberation. I found in leaving the true self that I was. And so when people say I'm praying for you, you're praying that I put on leaves back again and I cannot. There is no reforming the evangelical church. There is no reforming fundamentalism. There is no reforming it because fundamentalism demands uniformity and uniformity desecrates divinity. See, I was taught that holiness was being set apart. How many of you heard that? Holiness is being set apart. And how many of you were told that being set apart mean we're not them? We're different. We're special. We're not them. And because we are not them, we don't drink. And because we're not them, we don't wear certain things. And because we're not them, we don't say certain things. And because we're not them, we marry with somebody of the opposite sex and we have children because we are not them. We're better, we're special. And that is not what being set apart is. In fact, that's desecrating divinity. Being set apart means that I am not you. Being set apart means that I am unique and special and I am holding divinity myself as myself. Being set apart means that I don't have to pretend to be white, that I don't have to pretend to be smart, that I don't have to pretend to be anything to be able to be acceptable. Being set apart and holy means that I am so tapped into the person that I am that I bring divinity forth because I show up as myself. See, and a trans woman of color, the most, the most, revolutionary act of resistance that marginalized people do is to exist and take space as their most true selves because the most true selves are the ones that are carrying divinity with them. And for all of us, that's true too. Perhaps the most revolutionary act that all of us can take a step into is the revolutionary act of taking space in the world as your most true self and not as the one that you've been told. And it's so scary to do that because they will look at you and say, but you don't get to do that. You don't get to be that. We don't like that. And our little child within says, they liked you better when you were pretending. And we have to make this decision. Are we going to betray ourselves for their approval or are we going to stop betraying ourselves and stop being liked? To be able to move toward liberation, we have to be able to be comfortable being misrepresented and misunderstood. I'm misrepresented and misunderstood all the time. You know, I'm angry, I'm a heretic. I've been told that I should burn at the stake, quite literally. This is a very strange thing to say. These Christians are saying, I'm praying for you and we want you to burn at the stake. I'm like, no, that sounds super attractive. <laughs> I really want to come back. Um, liberation demands that we move toward holiness and moving toward holiness demands that we burn the leaves that we've been told to put on. And it's so scary. It is so scary, but it's so well worth it. Imagine heaven on earth, can you? But for me, heaven on earth is a place where there is no suffering. Pain, yes, always. Pain is good. Pain tells us where the problem is. But suffering is not good. Suffering is unaddressed pain. Imagine a world without suffering. Imagine every time we see pain, we address it. Imagine every time we see pain within, we address it, but every time we see pain there, we address it. And we do whatever it takes to say, we'll address this pain and we'll take care of this pain. And we're a community that is committed to ensuring that your pain is addressed. And we show up vulnerably and we become the most holy, sacred version of ourselves individually and collectively. And collectively, the spaces where we're in, people walk in and they know, I can take these leaves off here 
I'm safe. I'm safe. And at the cellular level, by the way, I learned this at, with the book, The Biology of Belief. At the cellular level, your cells, if, you're, if your nervous system doesn't feel safe, your cells don't regenerate. They don't feel safe to heal. That's true in all of our lives. If you don't have safe spaces, if you don't feel safe with yourself, if you don't feel safe in your home, if you don't feel safe in your communities, you won't heal. You won't take off the leaves. So what does it look like to become the safest person for you first so that you can heal? And what does it look like to become the safest person for the most marginalized and the people around you that they know, I can take my leaves off in front of this person because they are safe. We will bring forth the divinity. We will bring forth holiness. We will have quite literal temples that are carrying the divine in the world, moving liberation forth, creating life, quite literally begetting divinity, begetting life. If we're able to get in touch with the divine and the holiness that we truly are. So I don't pray anymore in the ways that I was taught to pray out for people. I don't pray for people anymore because that feels weird because prayer feels very, very sacred to me. And I feel like I'm stepping into a sacred space that I'm not supposed to step into. But I do have hopes for people and I do have desires for people and I like to share those desires. So may I share my hope for you today with you? Thank you. I'll share it with Jeff because I think Jeff wants it, but I don't know if everybody else. <laughs> so may you recognize that you are Kadesh. May you recognize that you are Kadesh. May you recognize that you are the sacred temple that hosts divinity within. May you recognize that perhaps this temple that you are has been covered with a lot of leaves. And may you have the courage to be able to start burning those leaves so that you can see the beautiful, incredible temple that you have always been. May you feel it safe enough to look at yourself in the mirror and say bullshit. And call bullshit on yourself. May you know that divinity was never stolen from you. May you know that you're never too far gone. May you know that holiness is always inside of you. Um, and may you feel safe enough to allow for the leaves to burn on your journey toward wholeness so that divinity can continue to bring forth life through you. Thank you.